Well, howdy, Huda Thunkers. This is the host of the Huda Thunker podcast, Zeb, coming at you, at you with episode 153, John Paul Jones, in all caps, because I wanted to scream his name, John Paul Jones, but I, you know, I didn't want to scream into your ears. Anyway, John Paul Jones, pretty badass dude. Before we get into that, I want to do a recommendation segment where I recommend something for you to check out. This week, I recommend um, you check out the YouTube channel called Pitch Meeting. It's pretty simple. Simple videos are like under 10 minutes. It's a very simple concept, what this channel is. One dude, Ryan George, he was um, born in 1989 in Montreal, Quebec, Canada. He's an actor and writer known for his screen rant pitch meetings um, that started in 2017. Oddballs and Campus Law. So he does sort of like internet funnies, basically. And he does pitch meetings, which I, I don't know why I like them. He plays two characters. One, a studio exec who listens to the movie pitches from of a, of a writer, the other character. He plays both of them, just in different clothing and, and different, you know, I, ideals, I guess. But you start to see them as two different people, even though he's played by the same guy. Both characters make exaggerated faces and weirdly reacts to what the other character says. But in the guise of this fake pitch meeting are what I consider to be great movie critiques. The fake pitch meetings are of movies that have already come out. So, for example, I just watched one where he did a pitch meeting video for the latest Batman movie. And he makes fun of how incredibly dark it is, both the content and the lighting of the movie. Good movie, but he's right. It's so dark. I recommend this YouTube channel because by all means, I should hate it. It's the same thing. Every video is the same exact formula. Ryan plays one dude as an exec wearing one outfit and then he plays another dude who's like the writer pitching the meeting it's just super simple but i can't stop watching them i, th I think they make very good points about movies and he's a charming dude so i do have the link to the youtube channel on the blog if you want to check it out but it's pitch meetings it's pretty pretty uh, popular if you type in pitch meetings it'll be there now for the main event john paul jones Today's episode is about a true historical badass that I've wanted to do an episode on for a while now, ever since I was uh, I saw a meme on the subreddit, History Memes. Today we talk about the father of the U.S. Navy, John Paul Jones. And one of, uh, before I continue, one of the most heavily used uh, sources for this was one of my favorite blogs, Badass of the Week. I do a really long quote from that, and I put a, a link in the description. It's one of my favorite blogs. It's what got made me think I could do a blog and a podcast because um, it's really fun to read. But anyway, the meme that inspired this particular episode is pretty cool. So it shows a picture or history memes on Reddit. They're pretty well, like some of the memes I don't get because I'm not as big of a history nerd as the other guys on the on the subreddit. But uh, this one I sort of did get and it intrigued me. The first image is George Washington and it said, accepting the opposing side has a stronger Navy and strictly fighting battles on land. Then it shows the picture of Ben Franklin and it says, attempting to ally the second most powerful Navy at the time and getting all those side bitches. And then it shows... This crazy dude screaming in battle with something exploding behind him. It says, there is cursing in this episode, literally not giving an F, sailing across the Atlantic with one ship and a rowdy crew raiding the coasts of Britain, attempting to set fire to an entire shipyard, inventing your own goddamn flag, and then being pardoned by the town you tried to burn down two and a half centuries later. 
John Paul Jones. <laughs> three three different ways to go about the Revolutionary War. George Washington is like, I'm not doing the Navy. The British Navy, not going up against that. Ben Franklin's like, we can try to ask the French to help us. John Paul Jones like, I'm just going to go burn them. I'm just going to go burn them and fight them. <laughs> so I thought it was a pretty cool guy. I wanted to look into it. Also, I had no idea, no idea that during the Revolutionary War, Americans, John Paul Jones, sailed across the Atlantic to go to England to start. Like, we did do a little bit of warfare espionage and or you know uh, covert warfare on the english soil i didn't know that so here's a quick wikipedia summation i would like i always like the first couple paragraphs of wikipedia you just want to get a good general idea of something john paul jones born july 6 9 or 1747 died in july 18th 1792 he, he only lived to 45 was a scottish american naval captain who was the United States' first well-known naval commander in the American Revolutionary War. He was a Freemason and made many friends among U.S. political elites, including Jan John Hancock and Benjamin Franklin, as well as enemies who accused him of piracy. And his actions in British waters during the Revolution earned him an international reputation that persists to this day. As such, he is sometimes referred to as the father of the American Navy. Jones was born and raised in Scotland, became a sailor at the age of 13, and served as commander of several merchantmen. After having killed one of his mutinous crew members with a sword, he fled to the colony of Virginia and around 1775 joined the newly founded Continental Navy in their fight against the Kingdom of Great Britain in the American Revolutionary War. He commanded U.S. naval ships stationed in France, led one failed assault on Britain, and several attacks on British merchant ships. Left without a command in 1787, he joined the Imperial Russian Navy and obtained the rank of Rear Admiral. So pretty cool. Pretty cool life that he's led. Um, and yeah, I think it's worth noting. He started his life in Scotland on the Solway coast, the son of a modest gardener. By the time he was a preteen, he was a sailor. He began his seafaring life as ship's boy on the brig of Friendship, sailing out of Whitehaven across the Solway and plying its trade to the West Indies and Virginia. Age 17, he became the third mate on the, uh, the King George of Whitehaven. Two years later, in 1766, he transferred as first mate to another slave ship. So yeah, he was in the slave trade, not the greatest <laughs> honorable trade at first he was on merchant ships and was making quite a lot of booty in the atlantic slave trade but he hated the life of slave trader calling it an abominable trade while one of the slave ships was working uh he was working on was at port in jamaica he resigned his post so it's pretty cool that's a lot of sources i read he's like oh he was in the slave trade made money but unlike many other people at the time you know it was slavery was common at the time it wasn't something really shunned upon but unlike many other people he he gave up the life of a slavery even though it made him lots of money and everyone's like oh how cool is that he was ahead of his time it should be noted that he gave up the life of a slaver after he made a fortune selling human lives so he did do those things he made a lot of money and then he got out so i don't i don't know if it makes him morally higher than the rest of the people of the age but he did give up the life of a slaver nonetheless the following years saw his career mired in controversy with accusations of abuse and murder. He worked on a brig known as the as John. So <laughs> the ship he worked on was called John. And he took command of the vessel when the captain and first mate mysteriously died. Hmm. <laughs> Whether gained through suspicious means or not, John Paul Jones was a natural seaman. His skills as a navigator impressed the owner of the brig, John, so much that he was appointed ship master. So... 
just out of sheer, I guess, luck or suspicion, what's going on? His captain and first mate die. He's now captain of the ship. And the guy who owns it is like, you're doing a good job. Keep it. Keep up at it. John Paul Jones was living the life to the fullest as shipmaster, which I guess is a really good title to be shipmaster. I guess more than captain. I don't know. Until one day, he swung into port at Tobago in 1773. His crewmate was acting unruly and mutinous. So naturally, John Paul Jones had him tied to the mast of the ship and flogged violently. He believed a, a show of force was necessary to commend, command the power of the ship. And that is, I mean, leaders sometimes have to show force. Unfortunately, John Paul Jones flogged too violently, and the punished crewmate died from his injuries. John Paul Jones' reputation was shot to pieces, and he was wanted for cruelty and murder. Other versions uh, say the crewmate didn't die that day. He charged John Paul Jones with acts of cruelty against him in court. John Paul Jones won in court and wasn't charged, but the crewmate mysteriously died a few years later, and the authorities were certain that JPJ murdered the guy out of retaliation. So whichever version, <laughs> either way, the important part was that John Paul Jones had anger issues, uh, uh, fatal anger issues that cost a man his life. And what did he do? Well, he did what most Europeans Europeans did back then. Uh, he, he, uh, he, when they were cr wanted criminals, at least, he fled to the American colonies. Yep, that's right. The country I live in that I call home, we're all a bunch of crooks and criminals that <laughs> the Europeans didn't want. But... And that's what, including John Paul Jones. <laughs> Proud of it. John Paul Jones set sail for Fredericksburg, Virginia. Boy home of George Washington is in Fredericksburg. And so is my old college buddy, Panda. Panda, if you're listening to this, uh, what's up, buddy? Hope you're enjoying life in Fredericksburg. Thanks for having my wife and I as your guest the last month. And hope you're doing good. All right, back on track. Fredericksburg, John Paul Jones' brother had a, a big, rich estate where you know he could he could just crash there. It was a sweet life, and JPJ was comfortable there, um, but not for long. You see, JPJ is a wild ass son of a bitch, and living the comfortable life isn't sustainable for men like him. Luckily. He didn't have to live the quiet life for too long. A little thing called the Revolutionary War was about to kick off. In 1775, with events working up to the American Revolution, Jones returned to Virginia and joined the fledgling Continental Navy, the Navy of the United States during the American Revolutionary War. Now, this Navy is not too, it's not very big. The Continental Navy was quite small. The colonies decided they wanted to go up against the British, but the British had the undisputed largest navy in the world while the colonies had the equivalent of like a few fishing boats you know not nothing too great desperate for the closest things to a fighting navy they could scrounge up the colonists called upon men like jpj to get ships and good navy commanders on their side they didn't really care too much about his criminal history um of these men because most colonists had sketchy past anyway, and they were desperate. They needed anything they could get, um, Navy power. When JPJ joined the Continental Navy, he was given the rank of Senior First Lieutenant. He was the first man to hoist a United States Naval Ensign over a U.S. vessel, the 30-gun Alfred, on which he served as second-in-command. JPJ's first couple months aboard the Alfred were full of sailing along the East Coast, laying waste to any British ships he could find. He and the Continental Navy sacked merchant ships and, and slow, slowed the supply line from the Britain to their troops in America. It was pissing off the British royalty to no end. He ran successful campaigns enough times to get himself the command of his own ship of the 12 gun, just 12 guns, 12 gun sloop named the Providence. He captured 16 British ships in just six weeks. 
Those are numbers you can't deny. I don't, you know, I don't care if he's a murderous son of a bitch. He's getting 16 ships in six weeks. That's pretty good. It was November 2nd of 1776 when he went up against the British coal fleet at Isle Royale. He destroyed most of the fleet, rescued American POWs, and stole a bunch of really good winter gear that the British were supposed to go or were supposed to, to give to the British troops up in New York and Canada. So he got, go he got goods, he got POWs, and he captured a bunch of ships. Awesome. He's he's very <laughs> a very lucrative commander. You're not going to get rid of that guy. Then JPJ got an upgrade to the 18-gun frigate named the Ranger. Now, if you ask me, the Ranger sounds like a way cooler name for a ship than the Providence. So he's he's getting upgrades all around. JPJ was sent to France to garner support for the Americans uh, on you know on aboard the Ranger. You know, he went straight to Paris and met up with his friend, his old buddy, Ben Franklin. The two networked around trying to get the French Navy on the side of the colonist. While doing so, so they apparently partied it up, hitting up local pubs and cavorted around with French ladies. Now, I have heard that of that from Ben Franklin, that he was a ladies' man. He loved drinking. Doesn't surprise me that his crazy buddy, John Paul Jones, did the same. And JPJ and Ben Franklin, they were successful in getting the French on their side. And when that became official, JPJ hightailed it immediately. He's like, cool, you're on our side. I got to keep fighting. JPJ, J, JPJ hightailed it to jolly old England. As he left, the Ranger, his ship, got an official military salute from the French fleet. This was the very first time an American ship was officially saluted by a foreign vessel of war. So all these firsts for JPJ in the Navy. When he reached England, he went for the town of Whitehaven. He is very familiar with it. He began an assault on the dark in the dark of night. He and 16 of his crew rowed ashore in rowboats, set ablaze to the fleet stationed there, and the town tried to set ablaze uh, to the town. He and his crew aboard the Ranger did the same to the estate of the Earl of Selkirk. The objective was to capture the Earl of Selkirk and hold him for ransom, but the Earl wasn't in that. He wasn't in that night, so they didn't get him. But they did ransack and steal some stuff, which apparently he did return the stolen goods later, like silverware. It was, it was and the, the Earl's wife had them in for tea. It's <laughs> crazy story, crazy way of British fighting, I guess. The Ranger, once it was done at Whitehaven, and the Earl of Selkirk went up and down the British coast, ravaging coasts and isles until his, until this uh, had until he had to go back to France for resupply. So he did as much as he could, as much damage, then he had to go back to France and ally to get more resupply. On the way back to France, he encountered the British 20-gun sloop of war HMS Drake. A naval battle ensued uh, that which, which lasted one hour. The Ranger was victorious, killing 40 enemy sailors, including the captain. And JPJ captured the HMS Drake and subsequently boosted American morale back home. This was the first American naval victory over the Brits. His reputation had slowly grown up until this point, but with the Rangers' victory over the HMS Drake, JPJ was now reaching his naval supernova status. I mean, he's he's almost at the top here. He returned to France, was put in charge of the squadron of U.S. warships and captain of the USS Bonhomme Richard. Bonhomme is like good man Richard, so it's like good man Dick. Bonhomme Dick. <laughs> it's a 42-gun frigate. So he went from this tiny 12-gun boat. Now he's on a 42-gun frigate with a bunch of other warships as like a whole fleet. 
and refitted it was a 40 gun 42 gun frigate refitted from a french merchant vessel that was huge in september of 1779 the bonhomme richard the bonhomme dick encountered a massive fleet of 40 british merchant ships this fleet was guarded by the 44 gun frigate serapis and the 28 gun countess of scarborough so he's pretty outgunned here ben thompson from one of my favorite blogs badassoftheweek.com writes jones ordered his ships on the attack and the Bonhomme Richard and the Serapis closed and became involved in a brutal Frasier and Ali style old school life or death face smashing brawl. Devastating broadsides from Serapis blew apart the Bonhomme Richard's sides, knocking out several of her main deck cannons and crippling the ship. Jones fired back with broadsides of his own, but continued fire from the larger, more heavily armored Serapis raked his ship, driving in his counters and quarters, forcing him to abandon all of his lower deck guns and catching Bonhomme Richard on fire in several places. At one point in the battle, a volley from Serapis blew a large portion of the Bonhomme Richard's mast off, causing Captain Pearson of Serapis to ask whether Jones had, sh had struck his colors in surrender. Jones took... Uh, took a look at the burning wreckage of his crippled warship, which taking, which was taking on water and littered with dead bodies, set his jaw and declared, Surrender, I have not yet begun to fight. That is direct quote. He's, he's captain of this falling apart ship, and he goes, do you want to surrender? And he goes, I have not yet begun to fight, sir. Which is, you know, revolutionary times, pretty badass. Jones then re or rammed Serapis with Bonhomme Richard. So he's like, I ain't got no guns. I'm going to ram you with it. Fouling both ships together, Serapis attempted to pull away from the Bonhomme Richard so she could bring the full might of her artillery to bear on the almost defenseless American ship. But Jones threw hooks over the side and lashed the two ships together. His desperate men poured musket fire and hurled hand grenades at the Serapis's deck setting fire to the ship and inflicting heavy casualties. A large con contingent of British Marines forward in an attempt to board the American vessel, but Jones was able to repulse the boarding party before leading a group of his own men over to the Serapis, where he was able to capture the vessel and effect her surrender. By the time the sun set that night, both ships were crippled, had lost over half of their men, and were on fire in numerous places. Bonhomme Richard had to be abandoned the following morning, when attempts to bail several feet of water out of her hold proved fruitless. JPJ won. He was knighted by the King of France, uh, King Louis. He was given the Order of Military Merit from the French and the Medal of Valor from the uh, U.S. Con Continental Congress in 1787. The British government hated him. When JPJ captured the Serapis, he sailed it into a Dutch port and there was some political tension there that arose from the details of which are messy and complicated. But what came out of it was that the JP the JPJ flew his own flag over the Serapis, thought to be designed by Benjamin Franklin. So he basically invented his own flag out of some weird political mess. But, you know, I think it's cool. The son of a bitch flew his own flag. It, it had eight stars. It looks a little weird. <laughs> ben, what happened was he flew it into the Dutch. He had this big captured British warship and the Dutch were like, whoa, 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 we're not allies of the of the English. And he's like, neither are we. We just captured this. He goes, well, we don't want to support the Americans either. And he goes, okay. So the Dutch are like, you got to get out of here, man. He's like, well, we need a, how about if we fly a different flag? So they wrote to some guy and Benjamin, some guy wrote to Benjamin Franklin. Benjamin Franklin tried to like briefly describe the American flag to them. And what came out of it, the Dutch sewed up this new flag that didn't look anything like, the, it's just a weird new flag thing. It's interesting. 
So he flew his own flag there for a little bit. <laughs> Interesting. But he was outgunned. He beat the Serapis. He beat the uh, the Countess of Scarborough, and he was victorious. A 40-ship fleet he took over. Amazing. Now, after the American Revolution, JPJ found himself home in the U.S. with no wars to fight. And the w old warhound was restless, you know? He set sail for Russia and enlisted his services for Empress Catherine II in the Russian Navy. Jones served as rear admiral for a Black Sea Russian fleet under the appointment of Catherine the Great. He went by the name Pavel Dehones. He changed his name, D-Z-H-O-N-E-S. <laughs> I, I don't know why, but he <laughs> probably some criminal history he wanted to get away from. But <laughs> Pavel Dehones, he became vice admiral and commanded the Vladimir, a 24-gun uh, flagship of the Imperial Navy. Under the Russian flag, he defended the Limon region of the Black Sea from the Ottoman Turks. He was awarded the Order of St. Anne from the Russian monarchy. He retired to Paris in 1790, getting tired of Russian politics. Two years later, in 1792, he died. His remains were buried in St. Louis Cemetery. Now, his remains have their own story. The French, anticipating the U.S. government would one day wish to return Jones's remains to America, buried him in an expensive lead casket uh, that was filled with rum for preservation. Great way for a sailor to go, I'm thinking. In 1905, after an extensive four-year search funded by the U.S. Ambassador Horace Porter, Jones's body was rediscovered. So they found, hey, it's in France, we need to go get this. JPJ's body was... Uh, exhumed and returned to the U.S. military, escorted by many battleships, and was buried with full military honors in the U.S. Naval Academy Chapel in a sarcophagus. President Theodore Roosevelt would have Captain John Paul Jones reinterred re at a specially built chapel in the U.S. Naval Academy in An Annapolis, Maryland. Renewed interest in John Paul Jones led to Congress allocating $50,000 back in the turn of the 1900s, in June of 1909 for a memorial to be built for him in the National Mall. The memorial includes a bronze statue of Jones, 10 feet high, sculpted by Charles Henry uh, Nahaus of the New York City. It shows Jones standing with his left hand on the hilt of his sword. The rest of the memorial has a 15-foot marble pylon behind him with two bronze dolphins on either side shooting water. This part was designed by the firm of the Carrer and Hastings uh, also of New York City. The John Paul Jones Memorial was dedicated and in 1912, so that's the official date, and it, it was like two days after the Titanic sank, which is a weird coincidence. Jones is also remembered by his adver adversaries, the quaint Scottish cottage on the estate of uh, Arbigland, where the gardener's son, the future John Paul Jones grew up, has been preserved as a museum. Furthermore, the British port of Whitehaven raided by Captain Jones during the American Revolution, decided to pardon him in 1999. So that's pretty badass. His own his own enemies pardoned him. I, th I think it's a cool. He was a crazy son of a bitch. The American Revolution, we ex everyone expected America to lose. And we're like, well, we're definitely not going to fight their Navy. And John Paul Jones said, screw that. I'm going to take my own crew of some crazy sons of bitches, go over to England and just mess up a bunch of stuff. Light fire to things. Crazy. <laughs> Fly his own flag. It was nuts. He was a true badass, and like I said, a props to badassoftheweek.com, one of my favorite blogs by uh, Ben Thompson. Great blog and great source for this episode. Thanks for listening, Huda Thunkers. Until next week.